Our text, we're sort of in a transitional point, just to be honest with you. We're transitioning from the Isaiah piece that we were introduced to during Advent and back into Ephesians. And as you see, the masterful guy standing before you is making that transition. Now, our text is at the end of Isaiah chapter 40. That's the chapter that Juan Carlos's sermon last week focused upon. You'll recall that Juan Carlos pointed out that the chapter was the beginning of a major turn in the book of Isaiah, a turn toward the prophet's unveiling of God's words of comfort for his disobedient and downtrodden people. Now, last Sunday, Juan Carlos focused on verses 6 through 8, emphasizing that while grass withers, even our flesh, and the flower, and the flower fades, the word of God, of our God, will stand forever. His points were that man's will is fragile and fickle, and that God's word is firm and faithful. Such a worthy reminder at the start of 2022. But the prophet Isaiah in this chapter immediately turns after those verses to the greatness of God, the greatness of God, and our text today is at the conclusion of that emphasis. Some of us may be thinking, oh dear, the greatness of God. I've got that down. We've got that down. Do please preach about something else, old fella. But friends, we really don't have the greatness of God down. It's a desperate and dangerous mistake to imagine that we have it down. And our text will expose us, certainly exposes me, maybe you too. Hear me tenderly say that for a great many of us, it is the greatness of God, His intimacy, His power, His very attributes that elude us so regularly. We may have the gospel and the atonement down pat. And we may have a firm grasp of grace and of salvation and even eschatology. But oh, what we miss in our weak and intermittent grasp of God Himself, a grasp that needs to be stronger, and it can be. So here's our text. Let me read our text from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 27 through 31. Of course, the, 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 the caption, the title of my sermon is drawn from the body of our text. That title is, Have You Not Known, Have You Not Heard? Here's our text. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. 
They shall walk and not faint. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now we're going to consider this text this morning using four headings, the last of which is not immediately evident in our text, but trust me, it's the correct ending point. So here they are. Here are our four headings. First, the complaint. Second, the reminder. Third, the provision. And lastly, the prayer. The complaint, the reminder, the provision, the prayer. So first, the complaint. Let's look again at verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? This is describing, make no mistake, a dramatic complaint against God. My way is hidden from the Lord. The Lord disregards me. It may be, in the quietness of your own heart, a complaint that you have voiced before, maybe voiced episodically, maybe chronically, maybe in despondency, maybe in rage. Isaiah is absolutely calling out God's people with this description of their complaint. Quite a complaint, don't you think? You don't know my way. That is, you, God, don't know what I face and what I'm doing and thinking and what obstacles and miseries are before me. I'm hidden from you. Moreover, that which I deserve, including support and vindication and protection and assurance, well, Lord, you simply have no regard for it. Wow. But in the quietness of our own hearts, have we not been there? Maybe are we not there from time to time? Maybe even today. To be clear, though this is not where the text ends regarding these people, it's clear that Isaiah is indicating this description is a rather settled and continuous description of a settled, continuous complaint by this people. Theologian and professor E.J. Young helps us. He says, Inasmuch as God is not only the creator, but also the preserver of all things, even the heavenly bodies, nations, individual men, how can the people of God complain that He has forsaken them? No information is given as to the precise circumstances under which the complaint is uttered. But it's a universal complaint, raised in times of difficulty and adversity. Isaiah's implication is that the people had already said this, that they are saying it now, and will go on saying it. It was a continuous complaint. The question is designed by way of rebuke as though to say, why dost thou complain when there's no ground for complaint? And we cannot miss this, friends. This is a complaint of God's covenant people. The reach of the complaint strikes at the character and attributes of God. And frankly, it's hard to imagine a complaint involving greater nonsense and massive error. Professor Oswald gives us this further insight. It is Jacob Israel who makes the statement, and he makes it of the Lord, my God. 
implicit in the name of the nation are all the connotations of the covenant. This is just not any people. They're God's covenant people to whom God has given Himself as their special possession. How could they imagine that He could forget them? This assertion strikes at the heart of God's character. He either does not know or does not care about what is right concerning Israel. To Israel, to Isaiah rather, to Isaiah such a charge is sheer foolishness. And to us as well such a complaint is sheer foolishness. And yet is it not at times, again maybe even now, that complaint our own complaint? If it is our complaint it can be certain that we, as with those Isaiah speaks of, these Israelites, the complaining Israelites, if that's so it's clear that Psalm 139 is utterly disregarded or unknown to them or to us. So hear this my pastoral plea, friends, regularly Meditate and absorb all that the psalmist declares in Psalm 139. Know that psalm well. Teach it to yourself and to your children regularly. It's among the greatest and most understandable places in all of Scripture regarding God. It's a doctrine of God course in a psalm. It's regarding our triune God. His intimacy with and knowledge of us. Thorough intimacy. Thorough knowledge. His sovereign power and constant present presence with us. And His delight in searching out and knowing us and in leading us in the way everlasting. Psalm 139 dispels and demolishes the complaint we are considering. A dispelling and a demolition of foolishness. And so too it transforms complaint into a disposition of rest, peace, and leads to an expression of awe, wonder, and gratitude. We shall actually read it shortly from now. Point two, the reminder. In the face of this complaint... Isaiah speaks a word of reminder. Now I've smuggled in Psalm 139 hurriedly. We'll go back to it. Let me, let me, let's see what Isaiah says. Verse 28 says this. Look at verse 28. Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Isaiah's reminder emphasizes God's unique and unmatched greatness. He is the Creator. He is the everlasting God. He is without any deficit in strength or reach or presence. And His understanding is far, far beyond even our best reach. Isaiah's statement of these abstract truths concerning God's greatness and His reach, His intimacy, are what the psalmist regularly put into words 
in a form that tenderly intersects with our lived experience of life. The psalmist understands how we live. The psalmist understands how we think and how we feel. And he weaves together these truths about God into our lived experience where, where, where many of us are going, ah, yeah, he knows me. He knows me. The psalmist, and in Psalm 139 this is the case, explain what God's greatness is within our lived experience. So we're left with the correct sense in our minds and in our hearts. Oh, what an intimate and powerful God we have. So, let's read a portion of Psalm 139, the first 12 verses. This is, if you will, the antidote to the complaint. The Israelites and ours as well. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I cannot attain it. Indeed. He goes on. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light for you. I suppose... To myself and to any among us who also make complaints such as the Israelites made here, I would say this. Have you not known Psalm 139? Have you not heard Psalm 139? Now Isaiah's more elegant words in Isaiah 40, notwithstanding, mine are simply merely shorthand for this. The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, who does not grow faint or grow weary. And it is He who has the unsearchable capacity, power, and desire to carry out the intimate and constant knowing concerning and the intimate present with each and every one of us without growing faint or weary. And we have a hard time keeping up with ourselves, much less one other person that we may live with. We cannot fully fathom this greatness, but we can absolutely rely upon it and declare its glories. Now before we move on to our third heading, which is called the provision, one more point needs to be highlighted about 
this matter of God's greatness and his knowledge. And it's this. Though we cannot fully comprehend God, we absolutely can know him as he has revealed himself to us. Consider again the words from Professor Young, who says, The whole condemnation and criticism of the people in which the prophet is engaging is based upon the assumption that God and His ways may be known. If God were unknowable, Isaiah's denunciation would be without point. When God's redeemed people behold His understanding, they may to a degree understand the wondrous insight of God, but they cannot comprehend it. The understanding of man is the understanding of a creature. It is therefore circumcised, circumscribed, and finite. The understanding of God is that the Creator, is that God is that of the Creator, and is therefore infinite. The finite mind cannot comprehend the infinite. Whereas, therefore, the finite mind can know God and can apprehend Him as He has, been, as he has revealed Himself, nevertheless, it cannot comprehend Him. In His understanding there is depth and length and breadth that man's mind cannot grasp. God in all His attributes is incomprehensible. And that doesn't surprise us. And don't let that frustrate you. And actually glory in it because this incomprehensible God has chosen to reveal Himself in such a way, has condescended in such a way that we can know Him as He wants us to know Him. He can be known. He cannot be fully comprehended. And to be honest with you, that's going to be true for eternity. Point three, the provision Consider Isaiah 40, verses 29 through 30 now with me. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. Now suddenly, it seems to me suddenly, but it wasn't suddenly, but it is suddenly, Isaiah pivots to what our great God provides this provision of power to the faint and strength to him who has no might. And if I were to go row by row quietly and ask you, do you from time to time feel faint and without any might, I would be uniform and the answer would be absolutely I do. Isaiah's great God with boundless power and strength is, if you will, an energy provider a provider of strength beyond himself, but to whom? To those who are his people, people who otherwise, even the young and strong ones among us, grow faint and weary of body, but even more so, grow faint and weary of spirit and become exhausted and unable to do and be a people faithfully and fully imaging God himself. As creatures made in the image of God and called to the fullness of God in the form of Christ's likeness, we need spiritual strength and empowerment. Though the metaphor used here of youths growing exhausted may allude to a physical context, yet it serves to speak of a range 
of powers, including necessarily spiritual power. And yet in this notion of power, there's great complexity. So let's consider what power is by considering this definition of power. Power is an everyday reality which is much talked about but little understood. It's hard to define satisfactorily, and yet with all, we all experience it. Among other things, power is expressed in the freedom and ability to make choices and act on them. You could have a sermon series, weeks and weeks and weeks on power. But also, accordingly, power enables the conquest of internal and external forces, temptation, sin, and evil, which cause us to be in bondage to falsehoods and unbelief and to destructive and oppressive spiritual, moral, intellectual, emotional, and social influences. I think the key aspect here is that power involves the freedom and ability to make choices and successfully carry them out. We need that freedom and ability in various forms and categories, not least of which in spiritual matters, for the spiritual matter is the very air of our lives as those made in the image of God and the very air in which we are being conformed to Christ. While our existence now and the age to come certainly involves the physical and the material, it is also fully and comprehensively spiritual. And so, this great God of comfort about whom Isaiah is speaking is likewise and unsurprisingly the great God of power, His own power, and that which He dispenses in most notable part, as we shall see in and by His Spirit's provision for us and in us. Let's look now at verse 31, the verse that you're probably most hoping I just had centered this sermon on, but you'll see I didn't. But it's a glorious verse. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles, They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Oh, friends, don't sentimentalize this powerful verse. Regarding this beautiful and much cherished verse, many are consumed to almost distraction by the idea of waiting. What does it mean to wait? How do I wait? While others are passionately moved by the poetic delight of contemplating a mounting up with wings like eagles. eagles. Yet all the while, in so doing, often missing the thrust of the verse, key emphasis on renewing their strength. It is this renewal of strength that we must grasp. E.J. Young again helps us. The verb used to describe those who wait on the Lord may be rendered, they shall change or exchange. In this context, the thought is of changing the strength one has for a better strength. Hence, the common rendering, they shall renew strength. 
And that's a satisfactory rendering. Implied is a condition of weakness or lack of strength. What strength is possessed by those who wait upon the Lord will be exchanged for strength that is real indeed. Now, the Old Testament saints who were considering Isaiah's words long before the coming of Christ were in need of spiritual strength then. And in that context, the truth and working out of these words could and did stand in the ways of and within the administration of the covenant of grace before the coming of Christ, those saints who waited on the Lord were strengthened. And for those of you that still have a little Christmas spirit in you, I think of Simeon in Luke 2, how he waited on the Lord for that promise that he would see the salvation, his salvation, before he was called home. And oh, if that's not a part of your Christmas, finish your Christmas by reading about Simeon. He waited and he was blessed. And he was an Old Testament saint, holding the Christ child. And for us, standing on the other side of Calvary, if you will, standing in a new redemptive age, a new period after Christ, this provision of strength described by Isaiah has actually an even more robust and definable character. And concerning which the words, the words and the prayers that are found within the New Testament are such beautiful resources. Resources to understand this needed and available strengthening. Last point, the prayer. There is, of course, no prayer at the end of the text of Isaiah 40. Why then, and from whence this final heading, the prayer, Pastor, why? Well, this heading, friends, this final heading is meant to remind us that that which Isaiah spoke of, this our needed strengthening, this renewed spiritual strength is to be a prime and central focus for and within our ongoing personal and corporate petitions to the Lord. Our lives of faithfulness are not worked out as lives of passive waiting, but rather as active lives, lives wherein a constant and expected beseeching of God where His promised strengthening of us goes forth in our prayers, a strengthening under the joy, joyful goals that are so beautifully captured in Paul's prayer for strengthening in Ephesians 3. So see now I've gotten you out of Isaiah. I've gotten you back to Ephesians. Richard will get to Ephesians 3 in a whole, maybe next fall. Um, no, seriously. I hope he's out of town when he, so I get to that text. Maybe he'll let me preach that one. Now let's close this morning by listening into this magnificent prayer of Paul. And I want you to listen for the repeated focus on the strengthening that is ours for the asking. A strengthening in love, in understanding, a strengthening in Christ, 
a strengthening unto the fullness of God. And may we all return to this prayer in Ephesians 3 throughout 2022 as we dispel our complaints about God and as we are strengthened through His Spirit in our inner being. For consider what Paul tells the Ephesians. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we are a people who belong to Christ, a covenant people who are united to Christ by faith. And in that, in that union, Father, we stand not only forgiven and made holy in Christ and have His inheritance, but yet in this age we grow faint and we grow weak and we need the strengthening of the power of Your Spirit far more than we acknowledge. But we know, Lord, Your greatness. We know the unboundedness of your power and your gracious extension of that spiritual power to those who belong to Christ. Might it be in this year that we would be strengthened mightily in ways that, that bless and glorify you, serve your church, serve our families, serve all that which is the case to make us more fully Christ-like. We ask this in your Son's name. Amen.